Good morning, everyone. Okay, um, let's turn our attention to Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Um, you remember last week I spoke to you about the blessed life. I'm going to continue our little study uh, this morning about a topic that probably many of us are unfamiliar with, but I want to share this with you. I don't know whether this is a two-part message or I'll finish, I'll finish it within um, this morning. We'll see it as the Lord leads. But I want to talk to you this morning about the inner life. The inner life. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before you, Lord Jesus, to sit at your feet, that, Lord God, that you would speak to us, through us, open our eyes and our ears to your word and to your truth. Help us, Lord God, to understand the truth that sets us free. Pray, Father, as we go through your word, that your spirit may move in every heart and every head, bowed before you, Lord God, opening every eye, every ear, even the hardest of all hearts, Lord. Even those who've been Christians for a long time but don't know Christ, I pray, Father, you would make yourself known to them, that they would leave all things to follow you and seek your face and your face alone. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit may move, convicting us of our sins and all unrighteousness and perfecting us into the image of your Son, Pray you cast the devil away from us this hour, this time. Shield us, Father, with your grace, your goodness, your kindness. And we give you glory this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me share with you um, the words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, See here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is within you. Now you all know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, don't you? You know the story in the Old Testament where God was to destroy a city, two cities, Sodom and Gomorrah. You, you know the story about a man who had a family by the name of Lot. He had his daughters, his son-in-laws and his wife in this city. And you've probably heard this many times before. But in this account, this city was perverted. It was sexually immoral. And they did everything they wanted to do to live their lives fulfilled. Everything contrary to the things of God. But God was going to destroy that city because purely every man's heart was not right. And the men said to Lot, has anyone else here? Do you have anyone in this house, sons-in-laws, your sons, your daughters, and whoever you have in this city, take them out of this place because we are going to destroy this place. Because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went and spoke to his sons-in-law who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get up out of this place for the Lord will destroy this city. 
but to his sons-in-law, he seemed to be joking. It was just a joke. When the warning came from the angels that the city was going to be destroyed, they thought he was joking. It wasn't true. And when the morning dawned, the angels urged Lot to hurry, saying, Arise, take your wife and your two daughters. What are you doing? You're still here, lest you be consumed in the punishment of the city. And while he lingered, like most Christians do, the man took a hold of their hand, his wife's hand, the hands of his two daughters. The Lord being merciful, they brought him out and sent him outside the city. So it came to pass that they were outside and that had said, Escape for your life! Do not look behind! Don't stay here anywhere in this area, in this region. Get out! But they were, they were lingering. They didn't understand that the, the sons-in-law were a joke. They thought it was a joke. It can't be real that Jesus Christ is coming back. It can't be real that Jesus died for the sins of the world and really he's, there's a place in the kingdom of heaven and when we die, we're going to go there. And so Christians linger. They just wait like it's a joke. But this was a real event because you can go look at it archaeologically and you'll see Asheville and, and Brimstone in that, that country, that area. Where did it come about? Because it came from the heavens and it destroyed the city. And as much as people want to tell you otherwise, they're only trying to cloak your eyes and block your ears from the reality of truth. But the angels of the Lord grabbed them, took them out and said, run for your life. It's coming. Escape. Don't look back. Don't stay anywhere in this plain. Escape to the mountains, lest you be destroyed. This is a true event. Then Lot said to them, Please, no, my lords. Indeed, now your servant has found favor in your sight. You have increased your mercy, which you have shown me by saving my life. Uh, but I can't escape to the mountains. Thank you so much, you've delivered me, you know, I'm not going to be destroyed. But I can't go, don't send me to the mountains. Because the mountains look hard and heavy and there's going to be a destruction and I don't know where to navigate through that, that, that forest. Don't, don't send me there. That was his issue. He was scared that he was going to go through the mountain. Because some evil might overtake me and I die there. See this? See, there's a city near enough. Right here. And he goes on to say, This little one, please let me escape to this one. Isn't, isn't it a little one? And my soul shall live. Here is a man who's gone from one city to another city, but he was afraid to find, uh, trek that mountain. So he finds another city, and it's the, the, the city is called Zor, Z O A R. And the name of that city means it was a place of sanctuary, a place of peace, a place of rest. And he goes, see, there's a little one here. Can I at least go there and rest? And there I shall save my soul. This is the struggle of people. When they're trying to find salvation, they're looking over here and they're looking over there. And all they want is to be delivered. Who wants to stay in destruction? But Jesus comes along and he says to the Pharisees, there'll come a day where a city is not going to save you, a church is not going to save you, 
going to this place or going to that denomination or going to that sect, is it going to save you? There's going to come a day when the kingdom of God is no longer over here or over there and let's go to this city to be saved from the destruction. There's going to come a day when the kingdom of God is within you. That's what's going to save you. So you can stop worrying about the the, the denominations. You can stop saying which church is the right church. You don't need to do that anymore. The kingdom of God is within you. This is the inner life. I want to talk to you about the inner life. Because you're not going to be saved. No matter where you are, no matter where you go, unless you have the inner life. The kingdom of God is within you. This, t- this term, inner life, I don't know whether you're familiar with it, but there's a, a, a writer a long time ago by the name of Thomas Kempis. And he wrote a book which is a Christian classic called The Imitations of Christ. This book was titled The Imitation of Christ, The Admonitions Concerning the Inner Life. That's what it was about. It was like a devotional. And he talks about this inner life, which is the kingdom of God in us, which is unheard of today. I don't hear anyone talk about this. Hardly anyone. But let me read for you just the the first paragraph of the the first chapter of that book. The kingdom of God is within you, says the Lord. Turn you with all your heart to the Lord and forsake this miserable world. And you shall find rest unto your soul. That's what we see in Sodom and the story of Lot. Turn from there. Go to Zor and find rest. But the kingdom of God is in you now. Learn to despise outward things and to give yourself to things inward that you shall see the kingdom of God come within. For the kingdom of God is peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is not given to the wicked. Christ will come to you and show you his consolation if you prepare a worthy mansion for him within you. All his glory and beauty is within And there it pleases him to dwell. He often visiteth the inward man and holdeth him sweet discourse, giving him soothing consolation, much peace, friendship, exceedingly wonderful. This is the inner life. Unfortunately, it's not a topic discussed today. Other Christians have called it in the past the deeper life or the spirit-filled life, which has unfortunately now been distorted by some charismatic chaos. The spiritual life isn't some kind of emotional, sensual thing. The spiritual life is a life living according to the Spirit of God, denying the deeds of the flesh. That is the spiritual life. That is the inner life. That is the deeper life. It's closely connected to the, the blessed life that we spoke about last week. This life, And many writers in the past have written about it. It's not like a new doctrine. Like, for example, uh, uh, Tozer says, Christians often know nothing personally about the inner fire of a spirit-filled life. There's a man by the name of Henry Newen. The man who can articulate the movements of his inner life need no longer be a victim of himself. 
interesting, isn't it? It's interesting because psychology today, psychology today says this. Listen to what psychology today says. It says, being aware of your inner self and how it balances with the outer self is the foundation of good mental health. This is why it is an important aspect to consider when working on a good, balanced life. Our outer self is what we present to the world. It is generally concerned with material things, such as how you present yourself, your hair, your clothes, the way you look, the group that you're in. The inner self is about what can't be seen, like feelings, values, beliefs, thoughts, spirituality, and purpose. This is psychology. That's today's psychology. A strong inner self means that you cope well with your emotions, are self-aware, have clarity, and a good sense of your values. You feel, you feel a purpose in life. It also means that you are able to remain calm, resilient in the face of adversity from the outer world. This is psychology today. And the Bible was ahead of it years before man was even born. Look, the Bible told us this way before these books were even written. This is why Peter, when he addresses the church, listen. In chapter 3, verse 3 to 4, when he addresses the church and he speaks primarily to the women regarding this, he says this to them, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging your hair, wearing your gold, putting on your clothes, your fine apparel. Rather, he's talking to the women, rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. With the incorruptible beauty. That beauty is incorruptible. That is in here. Not that's out here. And unfortunately... Women are being attacked by the world because anyone who opposes the outward is seen as a male chauvinist or put down to women. But no, we're not. We're trying to protect you from vanity and the lies that the devil's trying to say to you that beauty is everything and it's not. It's not. Don't be fooled when someone says to you, dress modestly. Because dressing modestly guards your soul. How does it guard your soul? Well, dressing modestly means it's not about you. And if you make it about you, it's corruption to your body. So if I said to the woman in the church, hey, dress modestly, dress nicely, dress decently, what I'm saying to her is don't feed your vanity. Because if you feed your vanity, you'll die. And it's not just for the women. It's for the men. Same thing. Because whatever you feed here, from here, you're going to corrupt yourself. But the world, no, I'm allowed to wear whatever I want to wear. Well, you are. You can do whatever you want. God gave you a free will. But that will can be you're eating of the fruit of the tree and it causes death. And unfortunately, we're being muzzled like we can't speak a word because everyone's in chaos. You can't offend people anymore. You can't offend people anymore. You're not, we don't want to offend people, but we are by nature offensive. Jesus Christ was a stumbling block. So we're going to offend either way. It's like saying to someone, hey man, you know you're going to die? What? Yeah. You're going to die one day. Are you serious? Yeah, one day you're going to die. That's offensive. 
I find that offensive. I, I, okay, what do you want me to do with that? Well, I think you should change your ideas. I think you should change your mind. I think you, you should reword it. I think you should not even say it. Fine. But it doesn't change the fact you are going to die one day or another, whether it offends you or it doesn't offend you. And there are a lot of truths like that, brothers and sisters. Lots of them. And the world is telling you, don't speak them, don't say them, because they're offensive. The biggest offense is this. The biggest one is this. There is no way into the kingdom of God other than one way. Not Buddhism, not Hinduism, not humanism, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if that is offensive, then I don't know what else to say to you. I can't change that. I can't say uh, only through little Jesus, half Jesus, side Jesus. Jesus is the only way to the Father. In fact, there is no way into the kingdom unless you open a heart and let the kingdom of God come in you. It's not through church. It's not through a pastor. It's not some missionary. It's not some evangelist. It's when a person opens their heart and lets the inner being, the most, the most precious, listen to what it says. To the, this, he says, with the incorruptible beauty, he's talking to the women, incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I'm not trying to be a male-dominating male shaver, whatever. These are the words of the God himself. And he says, there's nothing more beautiful than a woman who has a gentle nature and a quiet spirit. Ask the men. Ask the men. Why does every man agree there's nothing more beautiful than a woman who is gentle in her nature and is quiet? Why do men don't want arrogant, loud, opinionated women? Whether it's right or wrong or incorrect, it doesn't matter. This is just how it is. This is how I feel. You can say, well, I want to be loud. Fine, be loud. It's not what I want. Go find yourself someone who wants you loud. Because the nature, this nature, is precious in the sight of God. This is precious in the sight of It's not precious just in a man's eyes, but it's precious in God's eyes. I'm sorry if I offend you, but this is what the Bible says. It's precious in God's eyes. You know, the Bible doesn't speak many things that are precious in God's eyes, about two or three things that are precious in God's eyes. One thing that is mentioned regarding what's precious in God's eyes is the death of His saints. That's also precious. Gentle, quiet in nature, and the death of His saints. And they sound like there's a huge contrast between them, but no, it's not. Because someone who is gentle in nature and quiet in spirit is dying daily. You understand? Someone who's basically not opinionated, doesn't have to vocalize their views, doesn't have to be loud and give their opinion. They are dying daily, and this is precious in God's eyes. Because they trust Him, not the world, not what people think. They trust Him. And in the light of the fire, in the heat of the moment, when everybody wants to argue and everybody wants to say what they think, the gentle and quiet spirit trusts in him. And they're dying to themselves. And this is precious. 
for God. It's beautiful. God won't allow such things to, to come in against his own children. He'll come to their defense. He'll come to their hold. He'll keep them strong. I was just about to say, but those on social media who are propagating their looks and their beauty, of course it's going to be the opposite extreme end of truth in the latter days. Of course it's going to be all about having a view, having a comment, having a like, having a dislike, having a, a, an appearance that feeds death. So what is this inner life? This inner life. Paul, Paul tells the Thessalonians that you aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business and to war, work with your hands as I command you, as we've commanded you. Like, like don't bother yourself. Don't be a busybody working out, your, you know. Live gently. Live quietly. Live the inner life. Live the kingdom of God. Be the Lone Ranger, if you like. We all like that, don't we? The cool, calm, and collected. Don't we? Be that. But also be the one who's contemplative. Contemplative like this. Behold, the psalmist says, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts. And in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. It's the quiet people. It's the gentle people that actually come to the knowledge of truth. Because in the hidden part, I begin to understand and discern. I've put myself to death. I'm going to listen. I'm going to learn. I'm not going to think that my values and my opinions are, are the most utmost importance. Therefore, I've got to vocalize them. But you have desired truth in the inward part. That's the quiet one who, who, who contemplates the things of God, listens carefully and understands. That's the kingdom of God, the inner life. The outside life, that's a whole different experience. This is what, again, Tozer says about it. Most people, when setting out about their reformation, their conversion, are much more anxious to spend their lives in doing some difficult or unusual thing than to purify their intentions and to renounce self-will in order in ordinary duties of their position. But this is a mistake. Far better, far better make less outward alteration to actions and more inward change in the heart. What he's basically saying is it's easier for people to be more religious on the outward and focus on the outward than for them to be transformed and consider the inward. Like to, 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 to die to themselves is a lot more, well, when God's not asking you to go walk Mecca, climb up, up a mountain. But most people will do that. <laughs> most people, it's easier for them to fast for days. Most people, it's, 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 it's easy for them to, to wear, dress certain cloaks. But this doesn't convert the inner man. They would rather do those things as long as you don't touch the inner man. It's like when um, Samuel was looking for the king. And they looked down among all the, all the great men. And God, he looked among the men and he looked past their stature, past their appearance, past their look, and he said, this one here. And this is what the Bible says about that. He says, he says, 
The Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as a man sees. For, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he looks at the heart. I've just recently renovated the house. You know how good paint is? If you've got bad tradies? It hides all the mistakes, all the errors, all the issues. That's the outward appearance. It makes something seem to be something that it's not. He says, but God, he looks at the heart. He knows it for what it really is. And that's why I want you to understand this. What God is saying here is that he sees the person for what they are. And most people, most Christians, they say things like, well, God knows my heart. Or, or I know my heart. But what they don't understand is the Bible tells us the heart is exceedingly wicked. It's wretched and no one can actually train it. And most Christians, when they talk about, I know my heart, they're not talking about the same thing that God sees in a man or a person. They're seeing how good their intentions are, how wonderful that they are, whereas God says, no, all I see is wretchedness. I know what is in man. You're too busy focusing on, on, on fixing something that isn't going to do anything or benefit your soul at all. Now listen to this. This is what the inner life is. Listen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. If you want to turn to this, turn to this. But this is what the inner life is. Tozer said, a religious experience needs to go beyond gathering doctrinal facts. Christian truth needs to enter our hearts. Listen to what it says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. He prays that God would grant them according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. If you can't understand this, let me draw it for you. This is a kingdom. This is a house. And the house has three components. One is a dwelling place that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. The other one is it's rooted. It's rooted meaning it gets all its nourishment, it gets all its nutrition, it gets all its vitamins from this place. And then thirdly, it's grounded, meaning it's stable and it's strong and it's firm. These three things. These three things is the inner life. Paul is praying that you're like this, that you'll be granted with this kind of strength through his spirit in the inner man, the dwelling, the, the rooted and the grounded. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, the prophet says, for thus says the high and lofty one, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell, I dwell in the high and the holy place with him, sorry, 
in the high and holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble, the gentle, the quiet, and to revive the heart of the contrite ones, the broken. I am holy, I am high, but I also dwell in these ones. This is where I make my dwelling. This is where I abide. This is my home. I pray that you find and discover the riches of this, the inner life. The inner life. You know, in um, the Bible, when, when God talks about his word, Jesus says, my word goes out, and there's four places, four locations. That, did I mention this in the last, last week's study? So again, the four seeds, we understood that the ones that brought forth fruit were what? Were rooted and were grounded. This is the inner life. They're so rooted and they're so grounded that Paul is able to tell the Romans, I was able to tell the Romans in chapter 8, verse 35 to 39, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Most people, when they interpret this passage, most Christians, when they interpret that passage, they think that this is God's love for people. They've got it wrong. This isn't God's love for people. This is the relationship of love between God and man. The one who experiences the love of God experiences this kind of confidence. That person who's, who's writing this is basically saying, nothing separates me from the love of God. Nothing separates me from his love. I am grounded and I am rooted. This is the confidence of the person who's living the inner life. But we like to say, oh, this is God's love for me. This is, I can do whatever I want, but you know, God's going to always love me. It's not talking about that at all. He's saying basic, that's why he says we're like lambs to the slaughter. He's saying you can take me and cut me and kill me, but I know without a shadow of a doubt, nothing, no famine, no persecution, no drought, no hunger, no thirst is going to separate me from him because I am grounded, I am rooted, and I am firm in my faith because I have the inner life. I have the kingdom of God in me. And this is where I dwell. This is where I'm grounded. That's what he's, that's what he's saying there. I've got to stop yelling. My goodness. <laughs> and then there's, there's, the, uh, there's another, another writer, another Christian writer. These are, these are writers that I think we don't even... This one says, After all, it is those who have a deep and real life who are best able to deal with the irritating details of outer life. It's those ones. And then he goes on to say that I may be able to comprehend this with all the saints. What is that width and length, the depth and the height? And what is it to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge? Which passes knowledge? I can't learn this in a Bible study. Oh, we're doomed. Which passes knowledge. I can't learn this in church service. Well, gone. Because of course you can't learn it through knowledge. You learn it through obedience. You learn it through a submission and an acceptance and a confession. 
You say, yes, Lord, I believe. Do this in me. And if you don't give your heart over to this, you never learn anything because no book is going to give it to you. Even right now as I'm talking to you, you guys don't get it. Some of you may not get it because there's some of you whose hearts are still hardened. You still hold on to certain things. You still want certain things. You still want your opinion. You still want your view. You still want your riches. You still want your life. You still want the glamour. You still want the prosperity. You still want whatever you want. But at the heart of hearts, God who knows it can't dwell in that place. He can't dwell there. The inner life, listen, is a comprehensive knowing of his fullness. That's what that's something able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the width, head, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is the inner life. It's the comprehensive knowing of his fullness. That's the inner life. A comprehending of the depth, the knowing of that love, and the fullness of God. There is life. This is not religious. No one needs to tell you. You live like this. No one needs to tell you what to do, what not to do. No one needs to tell you how to do a ritual, laws, whatever. Live like this and you're free. You're free. Guard yourself with the light that's burning in you. Make your life that priority to say, nothing's going to blow it out. My kingdom needs a, a, a lighthouse ever burning and it's going to keep burning because nothing is going to blow that out. Let me finish with this. In the days of the Olympics, when they first started, there was a unique race, and it wasn't just about who's going to come first. It was about who's not going to have their torch blown. And the one that held the light and lasted with that light won. The kingdom of God is within you. It's about how you dwell and how you live in the kingdom, lest those doors shut you out one day. And you say, Lord, Lord, we did this in your name, and we did that, and you did everything that looks like the kingdom. But he says, I never knew you. Depart from me, because I never dwelt, I never abided. You never brought fruit, but you danced. You sang. Let's bow our heads in prayer. <clears throat> Jesus says this, as you have your heads bowed. Jesus said this to the Pharisees who made every effort to have an outward appearance. And I believe if Jesus Christ came today, he would go through churches and he would say exactly the same thing to every church that makes an outward appearance. He'd say, woe to you, you scribes and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of extortion and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may also then be clean. Woe to you, you scribes and you Christians, you hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. 
Even so, you are outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Now listen, for some of you in this room today, today is the day of salvation. Some of you in this room today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. So this message is for you. Those of you who don't hear his voice, those of you who, who, don't, who don't get it, you can come and talk to me. I'm happy to explain. But those of you who do get it, then respond to him. And you can come before him believing in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart. And say, Lord God, here I am. I want this kingdom richly in me. I'm going to give you time to pray. Be still before him. If there's any of you who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and you confess with your lips, you shall be saved. And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or not, whatever, what matters is what you do today in your confession of faith. Because God is ready to forget everything yesterday. He's ready to forget the last years since you were born. What matters is today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart and trust him with your life. Father, forgive me, cleanse me and wash me. Set me on a path of righteousness and teach me how to escape. Let your kingdom be my place of refuge, my place of rest. Come and dwell in me and I in you. Let this day on, I seek your face. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise. I pray, Lord God, that as we gather with each other throughout the weeks, that you would remind us of this truth once again in our everyday practical experience, that you would bring it into remembrance because you are good and you are kind because you know how to deliver those who are yours. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.